So for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about living no lies, and I, I just want to call out the obvious. None of us woke up this morning thinking, man, I hope I hear some really good whoppers today. Like, I, I really look forward to when, when somebody lies to me and I have to figure out, you know, I'm Inspector Clouseau or, you know, I'm going to be, anybody understand that reference? Oh, I'm very disappointed if not. Okay, maybe a couple of, a couple of y'all. All right, good. Uh, Sherlock Holmes or, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna figure, to figure it out. We're actually really terrible of uh, determining who, when somebody's lying or telling the truth, but we'll talk about that next week. So no, nobody goes around wanting to be lied to. We know that's the quickest way for trust in a relationship to be broken, for it to ruin things, and we, we get that and we understand that. But there are also times where we don't really want to hear the unvarnished truth either. The classic example is, hey, how does this make me look? Right. At, at that moment, you hear that, and it doesn't matter who's saying it. It could, it could be female, male, you know, who, whoever's, whoever's saying it. You, you just kind of have that moment and that pause, and you know what the answer really is. There's that moment where the wheel is turned. Well, how do I, how do I say this? Not, not everybody actually wants to hear what somebody's really actually thinking. A lot of times, we just want to have our own ideas and thoughts confirmed. And, and that's, that's something that we do quite a bit. The things that we already think, the things that we already want to believe, we just kind of look around and, and really at, at our fingertips, we have these amazing things that connect to this entire world of information that we can just go on there and find just about anything that we want to confirm anything that we, we really want to, to know or, or believe. It's not a, a normal habit for people to go around and ask for or look for dissenting opinions. Please, I'd like to have somebody in my life who continually tells me why I'm wrong about everything that I think and believe. Many of us don't have, oh yeah, okay. Many of us don't, some of us would love to volunteer to do that for somebody else, right? I mean, oh yeah, I'm there, but not, not very many of us are looking for somebody to be that kind of uh, person in, in our life. Um, as amazing as it is and as beneficial as it is for us to have so much knowledge and so much information, I, I won't even necessarily call it knowledge, I'll call it information at our fingertips, so much, so much more accessibility than we've ever had in our lives before. Um, as great as it is to have so much information at our, at our disposal, it's not all true. I don't, I don't know if you, you know that. You know, Abraham Lincoln said, less than half of the things you read on the internet are true. And some of it produces a false reality that for some of us maybe seems very welcoming at first because it affirms some things that we want to believe, but eventually it proves it out to, itself out to be an enslavement to ideas that need to be unmade in our hearts and minds. Yoda would say, we must unlearn what we have learned. Um, more importantly, Jesus says that if we live within his word and we are his disciples, we will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. And so that's why we are in this sermon series called Live No Lies. We're looking at three different enemies of the soul, and um, those are the devil, who produces deceptive ideas, the flesh that plays to disordered desires, and the world, deceptive ideas that play to disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. And today we're going to specifically deal with the devil. And so some of you didn't know that when you came in. It's like, oh boy, all right, so churches, we're going to talk about the devil. Exciting, exciting stuff. Here's what you need to know about the devil. Simply put, the devil is a liar. That, that is the thing. That is the thing that you, that you need to know about the devil. And the other thing that you need to know and understand about the devil is the devil is defeated. The victory is already won. God has won the war. We talked about that last week. Um, but 
The devil is like a predator, like a, like a snake, if you will, like a servant, serpent who is in its death throes, who is seeking out whom he might destroy and whom he might bring down, bring down with him. He wants to sever us from a relationship with God. So here's how the devil is described. There are several, um, I won't call them names. The devil doesn't actually have a name that is given in Scripture. I'll talk about that a little bit more here in a second. But here's how the devil is described. It's described as the devil, which means the accuser. The devil is called the Satan, which means the adversary. The devil is called the tempter, the destroyer, the deceiver, the great dragon who deceives the whole world, the ancient serpent who leads the whole world astray. These are some of the ways that Scripture defines and explains who the devil is. Uh, we commonly refer to the devil as Satan or the devil, and, uh, um, but he, those, aren't really, those are more titles than they are names that are given to him. And some of us have heard the devil being called Lucifer before, um, so that's not a name for the devil. This comes from a Latin translation of the Hebrew that was a word that was transliterated, um, which means morning star or the dawn. Basically, this is from Isaiah chapter 14, and it's a description of the king of Babylon who's going to suffer a great fall. So the devil is not actually called Lucifer in Scripture. And as some of you are like, wait, wait a minute, is that okay that you're saying that? And we can talk more about that later. Send me an email or something like that. We can talk a little bit about more about what, what all that means. Jesus also calls the devil the prince of this world. Um, the kingdoms of this world, when we read through the temptation of Jesus in the, in the wilderness, the final temptation of the devil to Jesus is to say, hey, you, you bow down and worship me. I'll give you all these kingdoms of the world. And so the devil has been given permission, really allowed to be influential in the systems and kingdoms and governments and nations of this world. Um, and so... Uh, by the way, a little, little side note, this is why we have to be so careful to not get caught up in the religious fervor for the governments and kingdoms of this world that so many people do, um, and why Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God, which is subversive to and grander than any other kingdom of this world. And so that, that's a little bit of who the devil is. It's in the names, it's in the titles, really, that, that he's given, that we kind of understand how he operates and who he is. His goal is, is really just to keep us separate from God. That, that's what he wants. He wants death and destruction. Um, he wanted to subvert God. He wanted to usurp his power and authority. And so the, he wanted to create the world in his own image. And so the best thing that he can possibly accomplish is to keep us separate from, from God. There are more things that we could say about this, but those are the things that we need to understand about the devil as we move through life and as we think about this idea of living no lies, of knowing and loving the truth. The devil is in opposition to God and therefore is in opposition to us. One of the things that I think is incredibly important to understand is that even though the devil is an opposing force to God, he is not an equally opposing force to God. Okay? God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. The devil isn't. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. The devil isn't. But God is omnipresent. That means he's, he's everywhere. He is, he is with us. The, the devil isn't. And so even though he's an opposing force, he's not an equal opposing force. He's not as powerful as God. In fact, his powerful is very weak when we know and when we love the truth. But he's really good at being a deceiver, disguising himself as something desirous because we're more apt to fall for something that looks attractive rather than being able to see the end result of what his lies actually produce. 
And so the one thing that the devil can ever hope to accomplish is to keep us fixated so much on lies so that we are separated from the one who is the truth. And unfortunately, he's good at that and has set things in motion throughout the course of history because he knows what God wants. God wants to be with us. He wants to be in relationship with us. And that is ultimately what we need, is to be with God. So he wants to keep us from that. He also knows that we have the capacity to replace God with our own desires so that we get so entrenched in the lie in our life that we can run out of time to do anything about it. He's been at this from the very beginning by questioning the ordered and concrete ideas, the way in which God has created the world and given humanity the ability to live joyful, peaceful, and content lives, both with God and with one another. And this all started way back in Genesis chapter 3. So if you have Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. And as you read this, keep in mind that Satan, one, one of the, the Satan, one of his descriptors is as a serpent because he is associated as working through the serpent in this scenario in Genesis chapter 3. Some of you are going to be familiar with this passage, some of you are not. And so understand that scripture identifies the devil as being involved here, uh, producing the temptation that led to our separation from God, the sin that we all participate in. All right, so Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you won't die. Surely, surely not. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And so Satan says, yeah, God's just jealous. He wants to be the only one who knows. Like, that, that's not really the issue here. A lot more happens here, but I mostly want to point out the modus operandi of, of, uh, operandi of the devil here. Craftiness and deceit, all beginning with the words, did, did God really say that? Did, did God actually mean that? Uh, so often a thing that we come across as we read through Scripture, as we live in, in a world that is broken by sin, and, and some of the ideas that are counter to what God communicates in his word, so often we're, we come across this question. Is that, is that really what he means? As, as we read through the Bible and we talk about the character and nature of Jesus and how we're supposed to put that into practice in our lives, and the standard by which we think about God's glory and his holiness and righteousness. Is, is that what God really means about how we're supposed to live among each other, the decision that we're, that we're supposed to, to make? And so it's that beginning with that question and that, you know, questioning God's character and why he set up these things in the garden in the first place that began the breaking of sin into the world. And I mean, the pain and the grief that has been sustained by that questioning and the wrong answers that have been given throughout the course of humanity is astounding. The problem of eating the fruit had nothing to do with God being jealous of us. It had to do with our inability to replace God and be able to experience goodness when we do that. And so God wanted to protect us from that. He wanted, to, he wanted us to, to stay separate from, from those ideas, those deceptive trains of thought. And yet he still gave us a choice between us and between him and not him. 
And since that time, the devil has been sowing deceptive ideas among people and cultures and governments and nations that continue to lead humanity off course. The problem is not so much that the devil needs to be involved in our lives personally. That's, that's another mis misconception I think that sometimes people have that, that, you know, the devil is, I mean, he is, man, he is focused in on me in my life. When things are happening, when I'm tempted, being led astray, man, the, dev the devil is just right here in my ear. Remember, he's not everywhere, and he's not all-powerful, and he doesn't know everything. But instead, what he's done is, done is he's introduced deceptive thinking and ideas into the world that continue to perpetuate and continue to filter through all the things that we do, that, that and we recognize those things when we hear and see those things as, as not coming from God. And they don't, aren't produced from his, his word. Remember, he is not God's opposite. He doesn't have the time or capacity to be whispering in every single one of our ears all the time. That's, that's not what's going on here. But he doesn't need to be if we're caught up in some of the lies that he's perpetuated. If he can get us to buy into wrong ideas that crush what God wants and has created for us, then, then his, his job is done. And so, so there's things that we have in the back of our head, like, I, you know, who, I can't really trust anybody. You know, I've, I've had people that have broken that trust in my life. So, I, I mean, I'm just, I'm never trusting anybody again. It's those, those types of things. Nothing good ever happens to me. Why, why should I even bother trying? There's little whispers. My best days, they're, they're all behind me. If anyone actually knew me, they wouldn't want me. My parents never thought I'd mount to anything. I'll show them. I'll, I'll become successful. I'll, I'll make a lot of money, and that will fix everything. My parents never let me have any fun, so it's time for me to get going. It doesn't really matter what I do as long as I'm a good person and don't harm anyone else. Those are, those are all lies that have been perpetuated in our culture, in our world, in humanity. Since the beginning of time, whispers that filter, and there's plenty more that I, that I could talk about. The list goes on. And the New Testament is full of warnings against being deceived from these lies. Full of warnings against deception to remind us to not be led astray. So many of the writers were writing because of false teachers and because of false ideas about God and who Jesus is. Because this is how the devil's deception perpetuates. I've just got a list of texts right here in my notes, and I could share that with you at some point, but I, I just want to read some highlights from some of these, these texts, just repeating phrases and words, writers in the New Testament, Jesus saying, hey, don't, don't be deceived. I say this, uh, so Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, see that no one leads you astray. He's concerned about deception. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9, Paul says, do not be deceived. And then he goes through a list that if, if we were to read, go ahead and read it at some point. Read through 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. He deals with very direct things that would be considered very offensive in our culture. He talks about sexual immorality. He talks about sexualities. He talks about character and how we live our lives, that we look at those things and say, well, did God really say that? Are those things that God really means when he says those things in, in the Bible? But his whole point in there, what Paul is saying is that, those backgrounds that we have in our lives, those lies that we've been caught up in, look, those don't have to keep us separate from God. Those are, thing, those are things that can be dealt with and washed away, that sin that Jesus dealt with on the cross. And so don't get caught up in deception and thinking that's what life is all about. Do not be deceived. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul says, I say this in order that no one may delude you. 
And I'm just going to keep reading uh, from different texts. Evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. For we were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. Another text, as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Little children, let no one deceive you. Or if they exchange the truth about God for a lie. Certain, talking about false teachers, certain people have crept in unnoticed, ungodly, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God. Another text, that ancient serpent who's called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. I mean, again, through, throughout, throughout the text, throughout the New Testament, we constantly get these warnings that, hey, you've got you to gotta watch out that you're not being deceived. Don't, don't just go along with anything that you hear or anything that you're used to in the world. You've you, you got to understand that that is the goal of the liar. And honestly, I, I, w- I would recommend, if you, if you want to kind of have a more contemporary view of, of how, what that might look like, uh, how the devil operates, I'd recommend the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Um, that, that would be a, that'd be a great uh, look in, into that. In the meantime, let's look at Matthew chapter 13. And I, I just want to read, read this parable that Jesus teaches. Um, it describes what life with the influence of the devil's deceptive ideas looks like in, in, uh, in, in the real world. And so in Matthew chapter 13, we're going to read the parable as Jesus teaches it, and then we're going to read the explanation that he gives to his disciples when they ask him what he's talking about. So Jesus puts another parable before them and saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to to them, An enemy has done this. And so the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first, and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So down in verse 36, this is when the disciples come to Jesus and say, Hey, can you you explain this one to us? And Jesus answers, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. So Jesus. The field is the world. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father." He who has the ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus is teaching, hey, there, there's a time in which all the lies are going to be filtered out for good. In the meantime, though, we have to watch out for those things. And not only do we have to watch out for those things, we, the entirety of the New Testament and how Jesus calls us to live as disciples is not only are we supposed to watch out for them, but we're supposed to know and love the truth enough so that, that we can help other people who have been sowed who have been sowed in and among us who are caught up in those deceptive ideas so that we can share the truth with them too. And so that's how competent Jesus wants us to be with the truth because it will set us free as his disciples so we can help set other people free as well. So there's going to be time, though, when all those, those lies are going to be filtered out for good. 
In the meantime, though, we rely on the truth of God's word to filter out the deception of the, de the devil. You know, it used to be, um, back when, especially when Instagram first came out, that, of course, I, I don't know. Does anybody use Instagram anymore? Has that kind of fallen out of favor? Okay, some of us, some of us are still, still on there. Uh, but it used to be that you, when hashtags first, first came out, that people would always use on their Instagram photos, they would use the hashtag no filter. Do, do, you remember, do people do that anymore? I'm not even sure if that, that happens. My favorite thing about the no filter hashtag is, yeah, I can tell. <laughs> It was always fun because it was, it's, it's like a humble brag, right? I took a picture that's so good, it doesn't even need a filter. And I was always thinking, yeah, it, it, actually, it needs a filter. It's, it's not, not that great of a photographer. Ain't, ain't nobody paying you for that picture. Um, and it was funny. There's also a lot of studies uh, about that, too, that a lot of people were lying when they said that. <laughs> um, so that, that was always funny. There was a very large percentage of people when they put hashtag no filter, they were actually lying. They actually did put a filter, but they wanted to be perceived as not needing one. Um, it, there's something about this idea of um, being real and authentic that is very attractive to people. Um, but that only works if you're not a terrible person, right? I mean, no, none of us want to be around a real and authentic, terrible person. Um, someone who's a jerk all the time, who's always really, you know, uh, really excited about giving their opinion, but not listening to what anybody else has to say. None of us, none of us really enjoy that. And so there's this idea, there's this concept that, oh, if I don't have any filter on my life, that's how I know I'm living it to the full. Actually, <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Maybe there are some filters that, that we need where, you know, we're not a jerk and we don't say stupid things all, all the time. Like that, that's actually a good thing. Um, probably not a bad way to think about how we interact, say, on social media, those kinds of things. No, we should probably have a filter. Nobody needs to know all of your thoughts in 140 characters or less. You know, those, those kinds of things. You know, um, a, filter, a filter is a good thing. Um, for those of you that drink coffee, you know, imagine drinking coffee without, without a filter. It's like, I, you know, just the, once you get to the ground, I guess you could stop drinking like halfway down with all the grounds in the bottom of your cup and stuff. It's not, it's not really a good thing. Or some of you that, you know, live, live in places where, you know, filtered water is a really important, important thing. A filter can be a really good thing because a filter can be a part of us being and us trying to be who we know we're supposed to be. Because we know that there are pieces of us that are, that are broken. It's a recognition of the fact that we're, we're not perfect people and there, there are parts of our hearts and our minds that um, are not healthy. And, and so when we filter our lives through, it's particularly God's word, it helps us to learn what, what the healthy way of living that part of our life really is. Um, one, one, of the ways that, one of the ways that we really need to have a filter in our life is is, is curating, curating the thoughts that we have in our lives. Um, we have access, like I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, to so many things. Um, the internet produces a world of, of content for us. TV, music, um, any books, any, any, of, any of those things. And, and while I'm a fan of so many different expressions of creativity in that way, art, movies, TV, games, music, books, any of those things, so many of those things that I enjoy in our life. It, 
it does matter whether or not we filter some of those things in, in our life. There's some content um, that, that is just objectively unhealthy for us to participate in. And, and that's okay to say because it doesn't lead to and produce the righteousness that God is looking for us. It doesn't lead to the happiness or the goodness or the joy or the peace that God designed for us to be able to experience in this life as he created, created for us. We, filters are a good thing. And there are things that we need to filter in and out of our lives. Uh, Dallas Willard writes in Renovation of the Heart, he says, As we first turned away from God in our thoughts, so it is in our thoughts that the first movements toward the renovation of the heart occur. Thoughts are the place where we can and must begin to change. Way back in the Garden of Eden, it was thoughts. It was those questions the serpent introduced, the devil in introduced, that cause us to move away and be separate from God. It was long before the first bite of the apple was taken by Adam and Eve that, that the thoughts had moved, moved their hearts away from God. Did, did, did God really say that? No, nah, of course, of course. No, that's not what he meant. You're the exception to the rule. Rule's not going to apply to you. I'm sure it's not going to happen just like that. At the beginning of the sermon, I read this statement from Jesus. He says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He's having a conversation with a lot of people at this point and, and, um, some in John chapter 8 when he says this. And some of those people are the religious elite, and they were deeply offended by the statement from Jesus. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Um, because they, they couldn't even conceive of the fact that they might be wrong. Religious, religious elites, like, oh, we know scripture. We, you know, we're not slaves to anything. What do you mean? We don't need to be set free because we know exactly what we're talking about. We know exactly how we're supposed to uh, live, live life. They couldn't handle the thought that they needed Jesus in order to understand how, they, how far off course they had gone. And so Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 44 through 47, he says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Jesus, Jesus doesn't hold any punches with the religious elite that thought they were superior to, to everyone. He says, He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Man. I mean, this is, this is where lies take us. To the point where if we don't filter, if we don't filter things through God's word, to the point where we can't even recognize the truth. And these were people that theoretically had memorized huge amounts of scripture, who knew God, who knew what he wanted, but they weren't putting any of those things into practice in their lives. And we need to filter for those lies. We need to filter when it comes to our, our spiritual health, when it comes to our mental and emotional health. The, the first question that we need to be asking is, what is the truth? What does God have to say through this? Through scripture and prayer, we understand what the lie is, and we can respond to that lie with what God says. The thoughts and ideas that we hold to need a scriptural foundation. And it requires us to be honest with the text and not just looking through the Bible to try to find confirmations for things that we already want to believe. If we can't trace that back, and keep in mind, we're talking about disciples of Jesus here. The expectation is not for people who don't believe in Jesus to um, believe the things that we do, but for us to be competent enough with the truth so we can have an answer for the hope that we believe in and have an answer for people who are looking to get out from under the lies. Um, and I know we could say things like, well, well, Rob, the Bible doesn't 
say anything about the morality of using artificial intelligence to write a research paper. So what do we do about that? Trace that back to a biblical foundation. I get it. Um, that's just, I mean, it's just lazy thinking, right? I mean, we have a, we have a is that harsh to say? It's probably harsh to say. I shouldn't have said it like that. Guyan's cool with it, though, so I'm, I'm good. Um, we're, we're given a godly worldview through Scripture. And so, so part of that is it's on us, our responsibility to, to know that. Um, and, and the ways in which we're called to handle opinions and deal with character and all of those kinds of things, we can apply the principles of the fruit of the Spirit and have a pretty good starting point for where those discussions are going, going to lead. Um, God gives us the truth through, through his word. He wants us to commune with him in it. Um, and he wants us to respond to the lies that we face in this world with his truth. Um, several weeks ago, actually a few months ago, we finished up a sermon series in talking specifically about anxiety. And one of the takeaways that, um, that Christina gave for that, and if you haven't watched that, you need to go back and you need to check that out. Um, you can check it out on a podca- podcast? Podcast? I don't, I don't know what, where that came from. Podcast uh, or YouTube if you want. Um, it's the final message, the fourth message in the sermon series called Hope in the Dark. We're talking about anxiety. And one of the really concrete, practical takeaways that Christina gave uh, for us that Sunday was to um, write down the lie of the anxious thought and respond to it with the truth of Scripture. Um, that, that is an incredibly powerful thing. And one of the things I want to say is that's not limited to anxiety. In all of my pastoral counseling, um, I, I, well, I, I say all, maybe 99% of my pastoral counseling, eventually we get to this conversation where we say, well, what... We, we've got to respond to this thing that we're dealing with, with what the truth is. Lies take us from reality to unreality. And so much of our mental, emotional, spiritual health sometimes is caught up in un, just unreality. It, it, it are these phrases, these things that have been whispered into our ear that we believe over time that take us way off course. And so much of that is, is knowing the truth and, and proclaiming it and, and speaking it out against that lie. And so I want to encourage you, as you think through some of those things and maybe hopefully start to recognize some of those lies that are communicated in this life, is that, is that you respond to it. Write out the lie and then write out the truth right next to it. If you've got a repeating thought uh, in your life that you know is not true, call it out for what it is. The best way that we can help and love those of us who have family and friends in our life that are dealing with the, the impact of lies in their life that you hear, there's repeating thoughts that you know are not true, is to help them respond in a loving way with the truth and to call out the lie and say, that, that's not actually true, though, is it? Like, you, you are worth something. You are valuable. No, money is not what defines you. Your success has nothing to do with your job or the stuff that you own. No, those, those are not the things, you, the, you know, you think you're a terrible person, you think you, you can never amount to anything. No, you, you can change. There is something greater at work here, and it is the truth of God when we know it and love it and are able to share that. Um, listen, this is a continual process for us. It is for me. When I feel depression setting in, uh, when I have needs or wants that go unfulfilled in my life, when I'm angry, when I'm dissatisfied with myself, when I lack self-confidence, when I uh, continually find myself in the comparison game, comparing myself and, and what I think I've accomplished or not accomplished versus what other people have in this life, when I don't respond to those lies with the truth that God has provided, it is an overwhelming thing that leaves me trapped. 
and the devil's deceptive ideas that have been set in motion long ago. And I hate when I'm in that place in my life. Um, but there's a truth there that Jesus gives to set me free and, to you, and you free. Because when I know what God has to say about those things, their weight is no longer a burden because Jesus has taken that away. And God is the one who knows and loves and shares the truth with us. So I want to encourage you, call out the lie. Write down and proclaim the truth. The devil's power of deception is weak when we know and love the truth. And when we respond to it. And when we call it out.